to From Believing to Being, a podcast about pursuing meaningful spirituality after faith deconstruction. We're your hosts. I'm Karen. And I'm Dave. We're two former evangelicals having an ongoing conversation about what life and spirituality look like after letting go of our religious beliefs. Join us as we discuss deconstruction, Christianity, mysticism, enlightenment, and consciousness, And most importantly, how to experience this new way of being in the midst of parenting, careers, and going about our everyday lives. If you've recently left your faith or simply feeling pulled into a deeper way of being, we hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you and really just reassure you that you're not alone on this journey. All right, welcome back to episode four of the believing to being podcast i think uh i think this is our first official episode where we have a name if i'm if i'm remembering correctly. i can't remember if we had it last week or not so if we're official uh four four episodes in so uh yeah welcome back um thanks for listening and yeah this week uh something that karen and i have been pondering on is um Really, to put it most simply, the why and the what, right? You know, why, why were we initially drawn? Why were we initially drawn? What did we get most out of a, a Christian evangelical faith worldview practice? And then um, the now what, right? As we've clearly both kind of deconstructed outside of that traditional faith lens. Um, you know, what now, what, what, what things have we been drawn to now and kind of teasing out, um, some of those things that, that we, we are drawn to. So, so yeah, so, so those are the things we'll be, we'll be talking about this week. So Karen, what do you think? What are some of your initial thoughts? You know, I think we have an interesting d- dynamic here because you were raised in a very strong Christian family, right? Your parents are missionaries. Mm -hmm. Um, but yet you didn't really dive into Christianity too much until a little bit later in life. Right. And for me, you know, my parents were Catholic. We're both raised Catholic, but we really weren't, we really weren't a practicing family. Mm -hmm. And I actually found evangelicalism that that branch of Christianity when I was in grade school. So I was in middle school around like 11, 12. And so that was, you know, I, I found Christianity and just totally fell in love with, you know, with Jesus, with the Bible, with the community that I had become part of. So I think that we have, you know, kind of interesting uh, ends of the spectrum. I came to Christ, you know, really little from a not very religious family and you came, (laughs) you came to Christianity, um, later from a religious, you know, from a very Christian, Christian background. Mm. So I don't know, where do you, where do you, where do you want to start? Do you want to talk a little bit about, I mean, you've shared some of your stories, your, some of your story on a previous episode, but what was it, what was it like in your, what, early twenties, early to mid twenties that really caused you to look at Christianity again? Yeah. So What's arising as I reflect on this is, I think it's a Richard Rohr thing, I, you know, I, probably not an original Richard Rohr thought, but something that he has, has done a great job of, of conveying this message is, you know, often we come to 
call it God. Um, you know, now I think you and I both agree, like that can feel like a little bit of a limiting term, but call it God, call it transcendence, call it higher power, um, whatever. He says that it's often through great, great love or great suffering. And for me, it was great suffering to a T. Um, you know, my mid twenties, I developed, you know, through like basically college and stuff like that. I developed just a kind of a bad drinking issue. Um, you know, I was pretty lonely. Um, just life was not going my way. And, you know, one thing led to another and I just had these like rock bottom moments where like, I just, I could not, like, I, I wouldn't say I was ever like suicidal, but it, it was, life was hard. And, uh, I just reached a point. I, I reached my end and I, it's almost like I reverted back to like, Oh, like this is how I was raised. And this, I shouldn't say that that wasn't really occurring to me, but I think there was something like subconscious within me. That's like, I need God. Right. Because I, I can't do this on my own. Um, and, and it was so powerful. I, I, it was an awakening. I, everything changed through that. Right. I, I, my life turned around. I got really involved in a church. Um, and so it was that it was this, I found Christianity as an adult because life got so hard <laughs> that I needed something and, and it was, it really healed, you know, and, and I, I did a little bit of, of AA involvement, right. Uh, for, for drinking. And, um, it, uh, I always felt a little bit out of place there, <laughs> um, for, for various reasons, but, um, it was helpful. And, and it was interesting how spiritual AA is. Um, I, I think it's maybe one of the better spiritual things I've, I've uh, encountered, but it's, it's that realization that like my life is unmanageable and you turn your will over to God. Um, and I just really resonated with that at that season of life. And it was exactly what I needed is that. And, and I, I saw that through Christianity. Um, I found community in Christianity um, so it was really, it was transformation. I, I think if I were to sum it up, it was transformation of that season of life where I became, um, just a much healthier and happier human being. It's funny that you mentioned AA. Cause I feel like now that I've read a couple of Richard Rohr's books, I feel like he mentions it so often and he even has a book. What is it? Um, is it breathing underwater? I think so, that it's like based off of the 12 steps or something. So, so, all right. All right. I, I mentioned this to you and I was like, oh, I, sh I should make sure to bring this up when we're, we're recording. I, um, so you, you're familiar with the word synchronicity. Um, if anybody listening is unfamiliar with that term, it's, it's basically a divine coincidence, um, seemingly a coincidence that has, there's a meaning behind it. Um, so maybe the biggest synchronicity of my life was with that book, Breathing Underwater. Really? Because, <laughs> yes, yes. So I love that you mentioned it because um, I, so when, when, when I was in the worst way uh, with my struggle with alcohol and all that, um, my parents were very, very supportive and very loving and they just knew, they knew I needed help. Um, and and I'm, I'm gracious to them for that. Now, one thing about my parents is they're very, um, traditional, uh, very, very traditional evangelical Christians, like strong, 
um, kind of all like fundamentalist biblical type of beliefs. Anyway, my, my mom uh, gave me breathing underwater. What? Um, yes. Wow. So, and, and I, it was, so I read it and this was probably 2000 and um, goodness, 2014, maybe 2014 or 2015. Uh, so year, years and years ago. And so it was a first, as an adult, it was the first Christian book I ever read and didn't really think much of it. It's a good book, but I didn't really think too much of it. Um, got a lot out of it, but didn't think too much of who wrote it. And then I kid you not, um, uh, three or four or five years later, when I had a big mystical experience and, and started deconstructing out of kind of the more rigid belief system of evangelicalism, I was very drawn to Richard Rohr. I had no idea that I had already read one of his books. And then as soon as I found out, I was like, oh my, and to me, it was like an illumination. This is what I see with synchronicities. Like it was an illumination. Like the path that I'm on is absolutely the one I should be on. Mm. I remember it was so funny. I remember telling my mom this. And I, I think to this day, she's still like, oh, I can't believe that, you know, because, because again, for the record, anyone listening, um, you know, Richard Rohr, very progressive, um, still, still Christian. He's a, well, he's Catholic, but, but he, he's like the gateway. I think you said that Karen, he's the gateway drug <laughs> yeah. for a lot of people in deconstruction. And so, yeah, that was, it was so cool, but yeah, but yeah, to, to go back to that, that book, Breathing Underwater, it was, it was a really good one. Yeah. And it is, it is, um, it's like spirituality and the 12 steps. He, he goes through all 12 and has the very spiritual lens to it. Yeah. One of pretty early on in my deconstruction, I actually, I was listening to a podcast of his and, or he was being interviewed by maybe by the deconstructionist or those, the heretics mm-hmm. or something, yeah. some of those yeah. Yeah. early deconstruction podcasters. And something that he said, God, it just made my brain feel like it was going to explode. And then after that, I felt like I couldn't read enough of his books. And that's why I feel like he is the gateway drug. Yeah. And that's cool how you had, how you had that uh, sort of a, um, like coming back to him, you know, we're always talking about spiral dynamics and stuff, right? This is a spiral of different kind that you start down here at rock bottom and then you use his book to spiral you up into Christianity. And then again, he's really formative in spiraling mm. you out into a mm. different, into a different way of being. Mm. That's really cool. Yeah. Thank you, Richard yeah. Rohr. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. So my story is, you know, it's, it's different because I, like I said, I, I was at a Wana's one night with my, with an, uh, a friend of mine from school and you know, every time like you're memorizing verses and uh, doing all the studies and every night they would do the invitation to accept Jesus into your heart. And I remember doing that. And then afterwards, I just, I loved the idea of, of having this purpose for my life. And I think that I was really drawn to the idea that someone was watching out for me and that that like I was not necessarily in control of what happened to me, but that there was some divine hand guiding it all. And so I started there and then 
the neighbor girl across the street. So I went to Rhonda's with a friend and then a neighbor girl across the street moved in and she was really active in a Southern Baptist church. And so I went to church with her and that was the church where I feel like I spent my spiritual childhood, even though I had always been kind of a spiritual kid. Like I had gone to Catholic church with my parents and I had made my first communion that that wasn't like a family thing. There was no bonding there. There was no sense of community for my family, but then the Southern Baptist church, man, they just rope you in with their programs. They've got, you know, three or four services and Sunday school and a Sunday night service and a Wednesday night service and, you know, a youth group night. I mean, it's, you get in there and you're just enveloped in this community that you can take almost like as far as you, you know, as far as you want. So that's what I did all through high school. And, you know, I had to, my, we had some issues with a youth pastor when I was there and uh, our youth pastor ended up leaving and the kid, I'll call him a kid because he was, God, he was what he was like 19 or 20. He was almost like a, like a intern that had been under our youth pastor for the summer. And then because our youth pastor left under bad circumstances, he stepped in as an interim youth pastor. And so he, um, that was this guy, Chad, and he and his friend, Robert, who had been doing some of the music for the youth group, those guys just became spiritual mentors for me. And because they were, you know, at that point I was like, 16, six, 15 or 16. And they weren't that much older. So it, at times it almost felt more just like hanging out and we would sit in the youth pastor's office and talk, you know, debate theologic, you know, theology and talk about all this different stuff. And it was so fun. And I love research and I love investigating things. And so they just encouraged me to go full on, you know, into, into theology and apologetics And so that's kind of where, where, you know, where I went with them. And so, yeah, I just, I ran with it. I was having, this was, so I came in, I kind of like dodged a bullet. I feel like I left high school right as the purity culture, like right as the Mm -hmm. Josh Harris book was coming out. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know, a year or two ahead of the people that were having the ring ceremonies <laughs> and all of that stuff. Thank goodness. Um, and so I just barely missed out on, mm. on the purity culture thing, but I, but, you know, we still had been, you know, the girls were encouraged to have dates with Jesus. And so I had a set time when I would either in my bedroom or after I could drive, I would go to a park, you know, I'd open up my Bible and I'd be like, Jesus, you know, what do you want? What do you have for me tonight? And I'd have this really magical time with, with Jesus. I mean, I was, I was all in. And, and now one of the things that I, that I miss is I miss those moments. Like I used to even joke when I was in my twenties, that I had peaked in high school, like spiritually, I peaked in high school because I was just so devoted and so in love with my faith and just really feeling like very high on the spirit, I guess you might say. And then life happened. Um, But I missed, 
I, you know, now even on the side of deconstruction, like I miss what I had got from the Bible. Like I, I miss the language, the, just the beautiful words and how it, you know, how it does feel like you can read the same verse 20 different times and get something different out of it. And I think someday I'll be able to go back and read the Bible again. And even now it's like, I have the word in my heart. Like I, you know, I can still, I'm, I'm able now to look at these concepts of consciousness and a verse will pop to mind like, oh, oh my God, is that what that could mean? <laughs> or, you know, could you interpret it that way? Uh, yeah, I do miss the, I do miss the Bible. And I miss that feeling of somebody watching over me, even though now I realize that was basically like me giving away my power and just making God a scapegoat. At the time, it didn't feel like it, but I don't know. What about you? What do you, do you miss anything from your brief foray into Christianity? Yeah, I think that that's, I think that that's a big one, right? Uh, I don't know that I would use the word scapegoat for myself, but the um, kind of the, the, divine um helper i guess that mm -hmm. that says mm -hmm. oh because because that was very formative for me right when i when life was really hard what did i do i didn't i didn't have this experience well now i i have different insights into what experience that i had <laughs> but at the time the the understanding the level of understanding that I was in was saying, okay, I reached the end of myself and I found God there. And therefore I, it was God, this external being out in mm -hmm. the cosmos was, was meeting with me to pull me out of the pit. You know, that's mm -hmm. kind of the analogy that I used for a long time is I was down in this pit of despair and, and God was up there pulling me out. Um, and I definitely miss, I miss the comfort around certainty about that. I wouldn't mm -hmm. say that in, in, on this side of, of deconstructing out of that, I wouldn't say that I now, like, I don't believe in that at all. You know, I, I because it was so pivotal in my experience that like there's to me there, there's something there. Um, I don't think it's, it's the same as I once thought it was, but there's something there. Um, but, but yeah, I miss the certainty of saying like, yep, there's a God out there that's, that's for us, you know, kind of mm -hmm. the, uh, Romans eight to use, to use, uh, Bible, yep. um, Bible speak is, you know, God is for you. All good things will come from God, like all this stuff, um, I miss that <laughs> because it's such a, it's such a comfort, it's a security blanket, right? Security yeah. blanket that says everything is going to be fine. Just trust in God. Um, mm -hmm. And again, to, to, to go off what you said now, as I, as I go deeper into these more kind of outside of the box, spiritual teachings, I'm like, Oh, I think I know what, what that was pointing at. Right. I, I think that mm -hmm. there is some truth in that, just not the same way I used to think of it. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. You know, I, for me, because I was in this just super Jesus freak, you know, I was definitely the generation of DC talk and third day, like (laughs) those guys, you know, I mean, I was this total Jesus freak and now I can look back and I can see how many decisions I made that I claimed were of God, or I talked myself into it being, you know, a direction from God or God's will that was really just fear. You know, I can think of some specific things that I really wanted to do. I really wanted to travel when I was in college and I had just stayed at the local college in my, in my town. So I didn't even go away for college, but I really wanted to travel. And there was an experience that a girlfriend and I were looking into and I so badly wanted to go, but at the same time, I was terrified of leaving you know, the comfort of, of my home and my town and my friends. Mm. And so I didn't go and I kept looking for ways to say that it was God's will. Like I kept being like, oh, well, you know, I have to have it in by this date and I have a test on that date. So it just, it's not going to work out. It must be a sign that I'm not supposed to go. Or there was another, there was a job opportunity. I applied for it. I felt led to apply for it. It was to work at a Christian, like a Christian organization at a national park. And I was so excited about it and I applied for it and I got, I got accepted. Like I was offered a job and instead of seeing that as, you know, as like, wow, this is a door opening. I felt like it was a test. Like, are you really committed to what you're doing now? And, and I was in a relationship at the time. So I was like, are you really committed to this relationship? And it was, I blamed it on God. I said that it was God's will. And I remember you know, years later getting to a point and listening to other people talk about God's will, like, Oh, is it God's will that I move? Is it God's will that I don't move? Just being like, who fucking cares if you want to move, just go. Like, if you keep saying that God, that God is with you, that God will be with you wherever you go, like, just do what you want to do. But I think that we're so, I don't know, we just get caught up in this or, you know, we can get caught up in this idea that God's will like you said, is something that is out there, right? That's how I used to think too, that God was out there, this external being, right? Who's pulling strings behind the scene and, and what weaving, what was always the analogy, like weaving the beautiful mural, which like, you know, tapestry. Yes. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Um, And you know, it took me a long time, but I eventually at one point I remember thinking like, this is ridiculous. Like I blame stuff on God when I just need to own the fact that I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I, I really like that perspective because, you know, so often we think of fear as fear as the, the driving force of so much of the unhealthy pieces of Christianity. And, and to me, what, what typically arises is the, is the core theology, right? It's that you mm-hmm. either accept what, what the, the primary mainstream interpretation of the Bible is, or you burn, right? I mean, that, mm-hmm. that is a big one. And, and that's, that's very common amongst the, the deconstruction community. But I think I really appreciate your sharing that perspective because yeah, I mean, 
fear and, and uh, insecurity in ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's this insecurity that like, well, I don't know well enough. I, I'm mm-hmm. not sufficient to manage my life. So I mm-hmm. need that external. And, and for the record, you know, there are circumstances where, where we really need that. We, we need that some feeling sensation that there's an external, for example, with going back to the 12 steps of AA, you know, we come to this realization that our life is unmanageable and we need something else, a power greater than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be really, really valuable. Um, But the problem becomes we stay there. I think Christianity keeps people in that place of like, well, my life is unmanageable. My life's unmanageable. It's like, no, you've got to, you know, Ken Wilber, um, who, who is pivotal in, in the, the, the developmental models for spirituality with, I mean, he was, I think kind of involved in spiral dynamics, but his big thing is integral theory. He, he has the kind of high level model of, uh, I'm probably gonna butcher it, but it's, I think it's waking up, growing up, cleaning up, showing up. And it's just uh-huh. this, it's this emphasis that says, keep growing, right? Keep evolving in your spiritual perceptions. And uh-huh. that's been a concern of mine for a while is that, you know, I felt Christianity, uh, while it is great in so many ways, it's just very limiting in, in how we can continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me think of that verse. Uh, is it also in Romans where Paul or whoever wrote Romans is like, you need to stop drinking the milk, like eat mm, yeah. <laughs> like the yeah. real food of spirituality. Right. And then there's yeah. all this discussion about like, well, what constitutes milk? Like, what does that, you know, what does that mean? Um, yeah. I, 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 I see what you're saying and and I agree that there is this, there is kind of this element of, keeping people contained in their faith, right? I mean, gosh, I can think back to so many people that I was told were false teachers, right? And you know, mm, when you have yeah. pastors and these people that you respect and and you've been you've been um indoctrinated to be afraid of false teachers, right? Like you don't want to be led astray. You want to stay in the right teachings, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be fooled by these false teachers. And then, you know, you come across someone like Rob Bell and it's like, oh, Mm. you know, I mean, you can read his book, but just be aware that, you know, he's a false teacher and, you know, (laughs) these, or, you know, the other people. And so, I mean, I remember Harry Potter came out, right? Harry Potter came out when I was in college, I think. And there was just this, uproar in the church of, you know, don't let your children read Harry Potter and the, the youth pastor and the, you know, and the head pastor were having discussions about how to handle these conversations. And, you know, because Harry Potter might lead your kids into magic. And I, it just, there is this whole development of fear, right? But at the time, I think the main thing is that at the time I thought that I was being protected. I thought that I was being kept safe and that my spirituality and my heart was being guarded by these other people. And, but now of course that I'm out of it, it's like, oh my gosh, how much stuff was I 
you know, how much stuff was I afraid of? How much of my life was lived in fear that I was going to go off the rocker? You know, if I read Rob Bell's book or Richard Rohr, I mean, I was definitely, I was, people told me, oh, be careful. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you were right. (laughs) You know, look at here I am now. But yeah, fear is such a driver in the church. And, and I think too, you know, one thing for me, my dad, and I don't know if this is just a generational thing or like specific thing, you know, my dad was pretty old fashioned and he definitely created this sense in me that I couldn't be trusted to know what I wanted or I couldn't be trusted to decide things. And I think, I think it happens, especially for girls, but I think that it's, that it's across the board that people can be raised in this environment where they're taught not to trust themselves. And I catch myself doing this with my kids too, right? Like, be careful. Are you sure you want to do that? You know, trying to be safe, but at the same time, I'm aware that I am sort of underpinning them with this sense that they can't trust themselves and Christianity feeds on that because it says you don't have to trust yourself. You can trust God and God will make sure that you don't screw up too bad. If you, if you just stay following Jesus, if you just keep a close walk with God, you know, he's not going to lead you. He's not going to lead you wrong. And so you're right that that having that sense of a divine guidance is it's, it can feel so, so reassuring and hopeful that, you know, someone else is there taking care of you. Yeah. 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 And, and what's arising as we kind of tease this out is, is the concept of transcend and include, um, you know, it's something that Roar writes about a fair amount. And, and again, going back to Wilbur and his, his developmental models, he uses that framing a lot. And I think that there's something to be said about this divine guidance right with transcend and include and and so what transcend and include is 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 getting at as far as i understand it at least i'm not a an expert by any means but it's as we kind of continue on and progress in our lives of different levels of growth whether it's spiritual or otherwise we we can transcend the old ways, the old patterns of thinking, but still include some of those things that are, are helpful and meaningful. And to me, I think that's one of them is, is divine guidance, but in a different way, right. And it's not so much, <laughs> right. and it's going to be different for everybody. Right. I mean, I think mm-hmm. this, this idea of who is God to you, what does divine mean to you is, mm-hmm. is different. Maybe someone doesn't even believe in a God, but there's still like some sense of something uh ineffable about our experience in this world um, mm-hmm. so so why don't why don't we uh pivot there a little bit more i'd like to talk more about that and you know obviously like uh, on this side of deconstruction you know what what are we finding um now that we're we're moving away or we have moved away from a lot of that comfort uh, and yet we're still drawn to it, right? We're still talking about it in a way of, mm-hmm. and I, th- I get the sense that we're talking about it in a way of like, not so much, not such from a place of anger, right? There's a lot of anger in deconstruction and it's fine, but I think mm-hmm. we're speaking of it more of like, this is, this stuff is, is helpful, right? I mean, there is, we were drawn 
to Christianity for good reasons. Um, we got a lot of good out of it. And now here we are on the other side. It's like, well, I can't really <laughs> resonate with it anymore, but I still want to see some of that benefit in my life. So, yeah. So, so what are some of the, the things that you've been drawn to um, on this side of deconstruction? Yeah. So just a second, I, I have seen, I mean, being in the deconstruction circles, right. You do see a lot of people who are really angry and who come back at the church, just pointing out all of the things that the church has done wrong and all the ways that it screwed up. And certainly there is a a place for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, one of the things that uh, I learned from a class that my eight-year-old took is that anger is a secondary emotion. And I thought that that was really interesting because after my deconstruction, well, going into my deconstruction, I was really angry at God, not so much the church quite yet, but I was really angry at God. But the biggest feeling I had was I just felt so stupid. Mm. I felt so stupid for having bought into Christianity. Once I got out of it, I could look back and be like, I cannot believe that I like the cognitive dissonance and just how crazy people sound sometimes. Like I couldn't believe that just a year prior to it, like I had been in it and I like to think I'm an intelligent person. And so the hardest thing for me, and even now where I am now is this fear of looking stupid again. There's, I'm almost hesitant to buy too fully into anything that I, that I learn because I have this sense of like, I don't want to get it wrong again. And not that I even think that there's like a right way and a wrong way, but just, I don't, I, I don't want to buy into, you know, another storyline again and end up like this, even though I realize also that could be part of the process. Um, but getting back to your question, the, so after my deconstruction, I had a friend, like after I left the, dropped all the evangelical beliefs, I had a friend who, who said, and I know you and I have talked about this, like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, that there was something about Jesus that was still special or interesting. And so he recommended a book to me. It was the divine conspiracy by Dallas Willard. So I read that and that, that opened my eyes to just the idea that there's another way of thinking about the things that Jesus said that just kind of challenged what I had, what I had read and learned in, in Christianity. And then from there, I kind of, you know, once I was like, oh, there's other ways to interpret this stuff. I started looking into Eastern Orthodox Christianity and read an excellent book called The Inner River by Kyriakos Kyriakos Markidis. Fantastic book. It's basically just his conversations with um, an Eastern Orthodox priest. Super good. And then from there, I just felt like the books would lead me to where I needed to go. Uh, So I I read the inner river and I think somewhere in there, it mentioned another book. So I picked up that book and then Dallas Willard had, I think it was the Dallas Willard Willard book. Somebody had mentioned Thomas Merton. So I started reading Thomas Merton and just going deeper into Christian mysticism. And for a while, for a while, I thought that Christian mysticism was where it was at. 
I was convinced like this explains my deconstruction experience because within Christian mysticism, right? You have St. John of the Cross, who is known for the dark night of the soul, which once you get into this space, you're like, oh my God, this is, that's what's happening to me. Um, the cloud of unknowing, you know, just these, uh, yeah, you just start, I just started to realize that there was a history for deconstruction. And it's funny to me because I'm not even sure if people in the deconstruction community realize that. I, I mean, I've, I've seen some people talk about deconstruction as though we're doing something new. And I just want to be like, people were writing about this stuff back in like the 12th century. And I would even argue that Jesus deconstructed his faith. So there's that. But um, yeah, so I started out with Christian mysticism and then also just Richard Rohr. Gosh, what was it? It was the podcast that I listened to with him. He was, it was right as he was releasing the universal Christ. Did you read that book? Uh, I didn't know. I, I read, I think I read snippets of it, but, but yeah, the podcast I'm more familiar with. Okay. So, so he had, he was promoting the universal Christ. And so he gets on there and he talks about the possibility of Jesus being separate from the Christ that like that the Christ had existed before time began that like the Christ part was with God, like primordial, you know, way back. But then the Christ embodied the human being of Jesus and thinking about the human figure of Jesus and this like Christ consciousness, right. Embodied. I mean, that just blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And after that, I started reading I started reading him and he's taken me on all sorts of, of adventures. And then eventually I kind of dabbled in law of attraction stuff because there's some, when there was no longer a God, you kind of are left feeling like, well, you know, where, where do I go from here? Cause once, once I sort of started drifting away from Christian mysticism and that kind of thing and being like, I don't, I can't, I don't know if like, I can stick with this God image. Like I, I can't do the Christian God anymore. So if I can't do the Christian God anymore, but I'm in this place of mysticism of like, oh, there's some higher power. Where do I go with that? What, what does that higher power then become? So that kind of started me down the path of like, law of attraction, but that didn't sit right with me either. And then I stumbled upon Sam Harris's book. And I picked up his book, waking up, it's called waking up spirituality for the non-religious because my husband is an atheist and had once asked me to listen to a Sam Harris podcast. Mm. And I was wow. like, ah, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. And so, but I thought, well, I'm going to read Sam Harris. Like, this is interesting. He's an atheist, but he's also into spirituality. Like, you know, maybe this could be my happy medium. How does he do this? So I read waking up, which is all about consciousness as being, you know, the one thing that we can all be absolutely sure of, but also the one, you know, one thing that remains a total mystery to science. Mm -hmm. And that, that book just fascinated me and started me down this path of exploring consciousness and, 
you know, I love like you get to go deeper into yourself. And so that journey has been, has been really fun. Um, I will also say just to throw out there for everybody else, um, the writings of Meister Eckhart also like at the times, whenever I was really struggling to figure out how to reconcile my new view of God with this like mystical, like there's still something out there that is more than myself that I can't explain. Meister Eckhart, his writings are just incredible because they go to that spot. They go to that spot that God is closer to you than your breath. Like, what does that mean? You know, or like he talks about this emptiness that the more and more that you clear yourself and let go of stuff that at that point, then God will come and fill you. It's like, what? God is so, so good. I still, my Eckhart will have a special place in my heart, but how about you? Where did you, like, did you sort of have a similar journey or what was it like for you? It's funny. I, uh, you mentioned Meister Eckhart. Um, when I first, uh, got into deconstruction, um, reevaluating what it is that I believed, uh, Meister Eckhart was one of the first books I picked up. Um, but I, I have a book problem where like, I, I'll, I'll literally like, I'll get excited about a book and then I'll pick it up and I'll read like for a week and then I'll stop. <laughs> um, because I read really slow because I'm like, I want to ingest every single sentence. Um, mm. so I keep meaning to go back to Eckhart. Um, but it's interesting. So Eckhart Tolle has been one of the most formative, uh, teachers for me, really, even when I was, um, it, more in, in the, uh, mainstream Christian view, but, but more and more every year. And he actually, my record is his namesake. I learned that. So crazy. Uh, I don't know what his, uh, his original name is, but, uh, but when he, he, he did some name changes as an adult and, and he wanted to take on the namesake of my record. Um, but anyway, so the thing that, that is coming most clearly as I reflect on, on my journey out, is it, First of all, it, it, it's like every week or month that goes by, I look back. I shouldn't say I do this all the time, but, but every, when I do look back, it's, it, it looks totally different, right? Like what happened in, that, in those months after, really call it waking up to what I no longer believed in, um, it looks different. And so the biggest thing that, that I'm thinking right now is um, this security in not knowing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we're, we're, and that's something that, that was with me, even when I was not a Christian as, you know, 20 some odd uh, college student that just live in the total normal quote unquote normal life. um, I had that fear that like, I have to believe the right thing, <laughs> even though I yeah. wasn't believing it. I, there was this fear that I had to believe the right thing. So on the other side, when I really let go of this belief that if I didn't get it right, I was going to burn in hell. Um, and that I, I just, I needed to get the right beliefs about God. Letting go of that was huge because mm-hmm. even today I'm thinking to myself, if I could give somebody one piece of encouragement about this whole thing is that it doesn't really matter what you believe. <laughs> because it just doesn't, I mean, it, it, it's not like 
there's some God up there that's judging you for getting it right. I, I mean, mm-hmm. the insanity of that, it, it, mm-hmm. it's just mind boggling to me. And yet, you know, we were both there. I mean, it, it's something that is almost like in the human psyche to, to feel like you need to get it right. So, so realizing that was really huge for me. And it just, it opens up so many avenues to, to mm-hmm. reevaluate, like, well, what does all this mean? Um, and so in the same way, you know, I mean, your, your story is similar to mine. I, I was drawn to more mystical teachings. Um, Richard Rohr, just understanding, yeah, his, his perspective of Christ. It actually, um, it was interesting. It, it framed a prior experience, uh, actually one of my first like big spiritual experiences. Um, when I was like, just dipping my toe in, in Christianity, um, in my mid twenties. So this was, you know, seven or eight years ago. Now, um, I had this experience. It was, I was at a Burger King and I was just like at Burger King, just by myself, getting some coffee, getting some, um, breakfast and, uh, reading some Bible on my, on my phone. And I had this experience where boom, like all of a sudden I was like, I felt like I was God. I felt like I I was like, I was like, am I, am I the incarnation of Christ? And it was so, it was so weird. And and like, it lasted, I don't know, five minutes maybe. And then afterwards I'm driving, I'm like, what, what's wrong with me? You know, I must be crazy. And I never really thought anything of it. And then I started to read Richard Rohr and understand his, his vantage point and not just his, I mean, it's, it's something that's been around forever. That view of the Christ, um, as something that wasn't just Jesus of Nazareth. It was something that yes. was far, far, um, greater. It was a, a triune connection with the God of Christianity and that it is a, it is an essence that embodies all of creation really. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really, uh, put into perspective this experience that I'd had years and years ago. Um, and so, yeah, so, so that was, that was formative for sure. Uh, but again, still in that, like holding it loosely being like, well, maybe, right. Maybe, maybe not. And, and so, and that's just kind of where I've, I've continued on is just different directions, different teachings um, about what others perspectives are. Um, you know, one that I've been really I, over the last year or so, and, and something that you, you and I have talked about a little bit is, is more of the non-duality and, and that has its origins with um, Advaita Vedanta, which is a, a Hindu teaching that has kind of gradually expanded and made its way into more Western traditions. Um, but it's this idea that we are all one essence that is manifested in infinite ways. Um, and again, it's just such a, I've been drawn to that way of thinking and seeing the world. And yet all the while, I'm just like, well, maybe, maybe not, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't have this need nearly as much to know, uh, that kind of thing, because I just want to be here, right. That that's mm-hmm. what's really changed in me. Even these last few months is like, I just want to be here and live this life and not be so concerned about like how it all came to be or what's going to happen in the future and just be present in the now. Um, 
while still being able to have these conversations, right? Kind of hold it more <laughs> loosely because it's fascinating to me. I, I love to think about this stuff and I've had so many experiences where like, there's something, I, I believe that there's something, don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. fun to talk about, right? <laughs> so. Okay, so I have so many things to, to add to what, you're, to what you're saying, but this last part about holding that tension of just being here but also having these conversations about, you know, what mm. if, what is all this? <laughs> there was, we, I took my kids to a rock show yesterday. Nice. The local geological society was having a little like oh, I a, thought you were saying like open house. Rock music. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry nice. to disappoint you. No, no that's okay. Like, I'm picturing your rocks. young kids at a rock concert. I'm like, all right, nice. <laughs> <laughs> my middle son would love that. Um, yeah, yeah, no, like yeah. a like an actual rock. And the local geological society, I guess every year, like once or twice a year, they have one of these open houses, right? So I take the kids and I'm thinking there's not going to be anybody there. Like hmm. who, I, I, and I'm only doing it. Be, I was only doing it because we're reading a book about that has a character who's really into rocks. So anyway, so we go to this geological society thing. The place is packed. I mean, it is like the closest contact most people that I've been that I've been around since the beginning of COVID. I mean, it, mm. it was like literally, you know, there's someone standing behind you, like touching your back or your butt with their back. I mean, it was insane. And I'm and I'm looking at all that, you know, I'm looking at the rocks and I'm I'm watching the people. And I had this thought of how we are fascinated with ourselves, like consciousness if that's what all this is, it's fascinated with its manifestations. If we want to go there again, maybe, I don't know who knows, whatever, but like, there was this, this thing that we, that like, what is it in a person that is so fascinated by a rock? And like, there's no judgment. I really am just like, this is a beautiful thing. Like this, these people have devoted so much time and energy and attention to a rock, which like, it just blew my mind. And I thought we are really, we consciousness is fascinated with its own manifestations. And that is what draw, that is what drives all of our quirks, right? All of our quirks and like weird things that we're drawn to, like talking about consciousness. Um, The other thing that I love that you said at the beginning was how you feel like you have transitioned from Christianity, which is essentially like a religion of certainty to a place of being okay with not knowing. Was that transition easy for you? Or was there strife and resistance at, at some point? Um, yeah, that's a great question. And, and I'd say, um, a little bit of both. I mean, even as I say that now, like there, there is still, there, there is something within me that wants to know. I mean, we, I, I think to, to what you said that, you know, assuming the, the, the theory of consciousness only, right. That, that we are all a manifestation of consciousness or God or whatever that is, that is living and indwelling this material world there is this like yearning to figure it out. It's fascinating that we want, we do want to know. So that, so, so there's this tension of like, I deeply want to know, right? 
have these conversations and read these books. Like I do all these things because I'm very curious, right? Um, but yet, yeah, holding it more loosely saying like having the humility to say, there's so much out there. I'm probably never going to figure it all out. So I feel it's a much healthier place to be um, okay with that uncertainty. Um, so I think it's just been a, um, a gradual progression. I, I can't say that there was ever this immense resistance um, early on that said, oh, I've, I've just got to figure it out. I, I don't believe in the, the mainstream Christian beliefs anymore, but there's got to be another um, solid thing that I can put my belief in. I, I never really got there, but I think it was a kind of a fading out and it's a continual fading out of that, does that need for certainty, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because it, 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 it's, it's very human. And I, and I think it's maybe just a misunderstanding of our psyche, right? Because we have that desire. We want to know, and, and maybe I'm just weird. I, I know I'm weird, but, but I have to imagine <laughs> that. I have to imagine that the way that I am, it's consistent with a lot of others that we have that curiosity and that desire to know where we come from, right? What is all this about? What happens when we die? Like, those are really good questions. Um, And I think it's easy to get that misguided and misunderstood. It's like, we have to know, right? We need to know. We're meant to know those answers. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it reminds me of uh, like the, the more science accepting brands of Christianity, they'll say, well, um, science can tell us the how of creation, but we look to the Bible and God to tell us why. Mm. And to me, I'm just like, I get that, but, uh, but it's also so limiting. It's like, it's, it's one perspective of the why, uh, well, there's, there's countless others out there. So how are we to, to, um, discern what's the right one? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the basis for a lot of deconstruction is people are like, ah, I don't think this is the right one anymore. And, and moving on from that. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My husband used to talk about that because he's, he's a scientist and he would get really frustrated whenever people would try to look to religion to solve questions of science mm-hmm. <laughs> and whenever people of science are and this happen less really whatever, but like then whenever you use science to try to answer religious questions, he would always get frustrated, you know? And I mean, people will say too, right. Philosophy, like, you know, science is not where we get, yeah. Science is not where we get the, the answers to all of the why questions that's philosophy and religion, like keep the two separate, but then at the same time, there is a, and, and what I like about the consciousness theories, right. Is that, it marries them. It, it brings about this, it, it, it is this place where, you know, philosophy and science meet, which is interesting to me. And I, I had a hard time transitioning at first from the certainty to unknowing. It was very uncomfortable. And I, I, Richard Rohr in, um, what book one of his books falling upward is yeah falling upward thank you he has this really uh 
fantastic analogy. And I'm not sure if it's in the book itself or if it's in the little study guide, other book that you can get with it. Anyway, he has this beautiful analogy of a river and he invites you to think back over your life and imagine your life as a, as a river, like where does it narrow? Where does it get wider? You know, that kind of thing. And so I went through that and going into deconstruction felt like going down an icy, like just hitting a patch of ice and Mm. careening down a slope. Like I even felt like, you know, those like bobsled things that you see in the Olympics, right. Where they're going like 80 miles an hour or whatever down this ice tube. It felt like that. And I felt myself freaking out because I didn't have anything to hold onto anymore. You know, I, I felt like I was grasping, I was grasping at Christian mysticism. I was grasping at this Eastern, Eastern Orthodox theology and, you know, the writings of Meister Eckhart, like trying to find something to hold onto. And eventually at some point, I don't, and, and I don't think it was anything that I did or even anything that I read at some point, it was just like, this could be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like going down this icy patch, like I'm feeling really terrified right now, but at the same time, nothing bad has happened to me. Like, maybe can I just enjoy this and stop looking for things to hold on to? You know, it's kind of like someone said, um, whenever you look at, a, at people who are on a roller coaster from, and they're, they're screaming, you can't tell if it's from fear or if it's from joy and exhilaration. It's kind of like that. Like, all you have to do is just tweak your perspective and be like, okay, well, what if this is fun? And then that just changed my whole approach to everything. Then I started looking at like, well, what else can I explore? What else can I read about? I, was listening to some woman talk about how she thought she was an alien. And I was like, that's fascinating. Tell me more because I'm no longer judging you. And I'm allowing myself to be in this place of unknowing and just welcoming anything and everything. And that was really fun. And I still feel a little bit like I'm that, that same way now, like you can come to me and you can tell me that you think that you were born, you know, on a different planet. And it's like, that's awesome. Why, like, tell me more about that. Great. Cause maybe you were, who the heck knows? Like, I don't know what you are. So it's well, fun. now it's fun. Well, so, so yes, I, I, I think, uh, for the record, I think we got our, our podcast episode title from fear to fun. I think that's great. <laughs> uh, what a good analogy. And yeah. So, um, to go back to the Sam Harris quote you gave earlier, um, where he, where he posits that consciousness is the only thing we can know in this world. That's not an illusion. I think is, is kind of yeah, what, that's what, what he, he says. says there. And I, I was really drawn early in my deconstruction. I was really drawn to the Plato quote, Plato or Aristotle or one of those guys or Socrates. Um, the only thing I know is that I know nothing. Um, and there's just, it's so rich to me because, because I believe that I believe that all that I know is my experience, right? I, I see what I see in front of me. I hear what I hear. You know, we're having this conversation. Um, I have some past experiences, but yet 
my past can be subjective. It could, my, I can have a brain, brain injury and my memories are, are screwed up or lost. And so it's just, it's so rich and humbling to me to get to that space, to realize I have no idea, right. To, to what you just said, like someone could come to me and tell me that they were, um, they were from a different planet or, um, I don't know anything totally outside of the box. And I'd be like, I don't really have a basis to, to say one way or the other, you know, that, that <laughs> right. what you're telling me is true because I yeah. know what my experience is, but, but there could be other things happening that I don't know about. And, and that sounds kind of scary, but I think that's it from fear to fun because that sounds scary because we want order. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we embrace it, if we embrace the disorder of the, the slip and slide or the roller coaster or whatever it is, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always that fear of like, well, what if the roller coaster falls off the, <laughs> the track or something? Mm-hmm. So the fear wants to creep back in. But I think if we really embrace um, the fun of it and, 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 and don't have that fear, um, it can be, it can be so much fun to just explore. We're exploring mm-hmm. the unknown, um, without any like needs, really. It's just fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So when you said that Plato or whatever, the quote about, yeah. you know, if I know anything, I, what did you say again? What was it? The only thing I know is that I know nothing. Something like that. The, the very first thing, man, these Bible verses, we're not like triggering people. The Bible verse that that (laughs) totally popped into my head was whenever Jesus says, unless you become like a little child, you will not enter the Mm -hmm. kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Because I've always, I always heard that verse as um, being, you know, innocent like a child, but what you just said, it's like, oh, is that how we enter the kingdom of heaven is? by getting to this place, you know, the kingdom of heaven, which we would say, right. Is now like the present, like actually fully being here is Mm -hmm. to become like a child who all they know is what is right in front of them. All they know is the moment, all they, they allow themselves to be, to just be fully there. And it reminds me too of something that, um, just recently came up. I think it's a Rupert Spira quote, something about, or maybe Adi Ashanti, um, about making no demands on a moment. And I thought that was a really good way of, I don't know, of thinking about that this space of, of not knowing or whatever is just really allowing a moment to be and not putting any demands on it. You know, that helped me have a better, have a better picture for that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think too, you know, it goes also to, the thing, one of the things that has come up in other conversations is if someone comes to me and is like, I feel like I, like, this is not, this world is not my home, that this, that I was not made for earth. Like I'm so quirky, you know, whatever. I wasn't, I wasn't made for this. And there's this weird sort of judgment. If you actually enter into their reality, like there's a weird judgment from other people. Like if I told, you know, if I came back and I told a friend, like, yeah, I just hung out with this woman and she told me, you know, that she thinks she's from a different planet because she just doesn't feel right here. People would be like, oh my God, did you believe her? 
like that's like you're not you don't really believe that people came from a different place like there's a weird judgment for the fact that you even would enter into that potential reality with somebody else and as you were talking about that I was thinking about um you know there's so much judgment on the LGBTQ plus community right because who are they to define themselves right who are they to say that they're that they're something other than what society wants to put on them and I was just thinking that just like with a person, you know, like with all this exploring, it not only opens you up to other ways of seeing, but it also just opens you up to the experience of allowing other people to be who and what they are to, you know, once you stop judging yourself and your beliefs and let go of that everything has to be, you know, a right way or a wrong way. It really does allow you to also just expand into what you allow and accept from other people. I don't know why my mind went there, but. No, I, I, um, I think that that, that is true. And, and I like, I like the word truth. You know, I was reflecting on, for our conversation today, I was reflecting on like the why, right? And one of my whys with with this kind of stuff is truth. Like I want to find truth. I want to find things that are true. Um, you know, and, and in Christian culture, the word truth is thrown around a lot. And, and it's, <laughs> right. it's, uh, it's truth in the sense of like, this is God. This is the characteristic of God. This is how the world is. This is what's going to happen. Like, that I, I have no interest in anymore, but truth in the sense of what you're talking about, what we're talking about here really resonates. And, and it is truth to me that says, look, we can't know, we can't know the experience of another person. So what judgment can we really give them? Right? Yes. Um, yes. You, you know, and, and that, that has been such a blessing to me to, to step more in more deeply into that, to realize like, I have no freaking clue about what people go through. You know, there's Mm -hmm. this, there's this conversation about free will and I don't want to go there, but, but some, some, some of these more non-dual esoteric spiritual circles can really wrestle with free will and say, free will is an illusion. It doesn't exist. We are all just, you know, yeah, again, I don't want to go there, but, but I think from a free will perspective, that is really humbling is realizing how, how many millions or billions of different things have happened to reach the point where we are now. And that's the case for everybody. So to Mm -hmm. think, you know, any individual out there has said, all of these things that have led them to where they are and they are the way they are for all of these different reasons. And yet it's human nature to like take your own frame of reference and apply it to that person and make judgments on it. Yes. Really think about it. It's like, what are we doing? So it's such a blessing to be able to step out of that and think, Mm -hmm. huh, let's just be, let's not make Mm -hmm. judgments. And the peace that that brings internally. And, and I'll say one more thing on that topic, because I do think that it's kind of a, um, 
a spiral, so to speak, where like that brings about peace in our hearts, mm -hmm. but also it requires a heart peace to do that, I think. And that's the mm -hmm. value of doing spiritual practices, like, like meditating, like taking care of yourself, like you find the peace within, and then I, it's much easier to, to bring that into life. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of that, uh, give and take, so to speak of, of engaging with our world and finding peace on both sides. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about a little bit this week, and I think it makes sense in this conversation too, is that idea that nothing is lost mm -hmm. and how I think it's really easy, like you were saying, to look back on ourselves and judge ourselves for the Christian background for the time that we spent there. And I know a lot of people who have been really enmeshed in the church for a long time and then deconstructs can have a lot of anger and regret at everything that they did before, right? Like you even mentioned, I think in one of the episodes is some things that, you know, you're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And I mean, there's plenty of things that I look back on and, and time that feels like it was wasted, mm. but, and, and it's too easy to just go into the judgment, kind of like what you were saying, you know, like we can't look, we can't look back on our former selves. We can't but look back on other people, but we also can't look back on our former selves mm -hmm. and judge ourselves for the way that we were drawn to Christianity at the time for, you know, for whatever reason or the things that we did while we were in there. Um, and also I think one of the great things and helpful things for me about these conversations is that it shows me that really, truly nothing has to be lost in the sense that if I look, if I, if I can keep this open heart, open mind, non-judgment, and I can continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper into my spirituality, you can find these universal truths that we're, you know, that we've been talking about you can find them in your faith, just like you and I can bring up Bible verses that like, and, and me like, oh my gosh, I'm starting to understand this now. Like there was something there, you know, nothing has to be lost, but as soon as we allow the judgment to come in, then it just sets you up to spiral back downward, not to do the spiraling up, like not to find that place of peace in your heart. Like the peace is really the letting go of the judgment so that you can be open to exploring and open to accepting people as they are and open to accepting the moment as it is just letting go of that judgment. It really is one of the things that can help integrate it all, you know, and even letting go of the judgment for our past, like how you brought up alcoholism. I have an abortion in my background and, you know, I'm in a host of other stuff, right? And if we don't judge ourselves, it allows us to integrate the whole thing into whatever this experience is. And that integration, God, it brings so much peace. And yeah. then that allows you to extend your peace out to others, just exactly like what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, <laughs> speaking of the traditions, the, the, the passage where Jesus talks about, you know, you're better to, to take out the 
the plank in your own eye before you point out the speck mm-hmm. in your brother's mm-hmm. eye. And, and, and again, I think that's often translated in, and understood in a way of, of, of um, thinking, you know, oh, like, don't judge others for being bad and then like find the bad within yourself. Uh, you mm. know, but it's just like, I, I, I don't think that that's really what it's getting at. It's, it's getting at more, um, look within yourself and, and see that in there, um, before you go out and, and see anything in anyone else. And, and the, the, the word that is arising as an antithesis to judgment is, um, something that's been really meaningful to me is acceptance. And it's like the more and more and more we can accept things, the more peace will come. And that means accepting who we are. It means accepting Mm -hmm. our past. Um, and just, it's like, maybe that's something, you know, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, could we, could we have a question, a takeaway and maybe that's it, right? What is something that I can accept this week? Mm. What is something I can accept? Maybe every day ask, what is something I can accept about my circumstances? Um, rather than fight against it or judge it or charge it in some way, because the more that we reach that to your point, you, you, by accepting it, you're, you're receiving it. You're taking it into your mm-hmm. lived experience. You're not pushing it away. And suddenly mm-hmm. it becomes part of you, but you've accepted it. So it, mm-hmm. it's, it's suddenly like it, as, as Eckhart Tolle would say, it transmutes it into consciousness and it just becomes it, it just becomes part of your experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I know we have to, we have to wrap up here in a minute, yep. but it's so funny that you, um, that you, that you brought that up about acceptance. Um, because I just had this thought the other day, I, my mom had sent me a book and, um, it was very, was very emotional. It was very like mother daughter bond. And she had sent it to me like years and years ago. And I was looking at it. And the thing is that it felt some of the things, some of the writings in the book felt a little clingy, like a little crossing the boundaries, a personal boundaries between like a mother and a daughter. Cause the whole book was about the relationship between a mother and daughter. And as I was looking at the, as I was looking at the book, I thought, None of these poems in the book about the love of a mother and a daughter, you know, whatever, make me feel loved. And I thought the thing that I want most from people in my life is I want, I say that I want love, but really what I want is I want total acceptance, Mm -hmm. complete acceptance and understanding for who I am. And I was noticing this with my kids too, like, You know, sometimes you say, I love you and it's a great, beautiful sentiment, but sometimes what it means is I'm clinging to you or you are a part of me or something. Again, that's a really beautiful sentiment, but sometimes you can say, I love you. And it falls flat because it feels so dependent on, on you, like on what you're doing for the person or whatever, not articulating this well, but, but I thought like love, a new way to think about love is to think about love as being acceptance. 
And self-love, kind of like what you were saying, self-love is all about accepting all the parts of yourself that you wish didn't exist, like really fully going into letting go of the judgments and just accepting yourself for who you are. And I think I, I, I just had that revelation this week, but like love is really acceptance. When someone says, I love you, what you want them to mean is I accept you fully. And if I say, I love me to myself, if I want to experience like loving myself, like so many people do the very first thing, I mean, you have to go to that place of acceptance and non-judgment. But yeah, I think that's a great question. What can we, what can we accept now? What can we accept in our life right now? And not just not resist it, not have a judgment. And that's, and resistance is about not having a judgment about it. It doesn't mean that like, if you're struggling or if you're, if you have an injury that you don't take your medication, like <laughs> doesn't mean that resistance is just like, how can you not, how can you not judge it? So what are we accepting? What can we accept and not judge? It's a good way to end. Yeah. I was just thinking that I, I, I that's such a beautiful way to end it. And I will say that that, that is something that I'm going to take away and, and really marinate on is, is, to love is to accept fully. I think that's so rich. And with that, yeah. Um, so for our listeners, thank you for listening. Um, definitely would encourage you to, to think on this, you know, what is something that you can accept, uh, whether it's today, this week, and how might that in influence your experience, uh, the experience of your loved ones, you know, maybe it's something about yourself, maybe it's something about another person and how can you communicate that? Um, I, I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot there. It's something I'm going to be really, um, thinking about, uh, in the coming days and week. And I would just encourage, uh, if you feel so inclined to send us an email, um, we, we do have an official email now. I didn't even tell Karen that yet, but uh, it's just, <laughs> what is it? it's, it's easy. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really simple. It's just believing, uh, from believing to being at gmail.com. It Perfect. was available. Thank God. Um, but yeah, so, so, uh, thanks for listening and yeah, would love to hear your feedback on that, uh, topic. If you would feel so inclined until next time. Great. <laughs> Mm, there it is.